before I start in the sermon, I wanted to also remind you all that in two weeks, so next week is one year anniversary, but next, the week after that, so September 18th, we're going to be getting a new sermon series in 1 Corinthians, which is uh, quite of a letter that Paul writes that has a lot of uh, interesting topics, but also uh, good topics that are challenging for the church. Um, amidst the, the culture that we live in, amidst a lot of just questions and uncertainties, um, issues of like uh, division, sexual immorality, worship style, spiritual gifts, they're all in the letter of, that Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and we're going to go into that as a church together. And I, my hope is that as we go through this word in about two weeks, that we would be equipped to lovingly and graciously share how God's ways lead to a life that is much fuller and more joyful than the ways that society and culture tries to help us or tries to guide us to live in. And so um, a few ways that we're going to be kind of using 1 Corinthians as a church to disciple our church here is that, first of all, we'll be digging into them in our missional communities, which is one. Um, we'll be also having some resources and conversations uh, that will be kind of done here at the church and maybe even broadly at Park Community Church. But then also, I have these journals. Now, these are ESV kind of 1 Corinthians journals. Um, they basically have just the letter, 1 Corinthians, um, in one side, and then uh, kind of like space to journal or write on the other side. And I got a you know, a, a good amount for the entire church, actually. I, they're, they're kind of backwards. So I have some now, but I have more later. And my hope is that you would take one, and for the others who are part of the church to take one, and to walk with First Corinthians with us. And so if you are able to, and, you know, read it and journal and utilize it, I would love for you to grab one. They're actually kind of in the bookshelf over there. You can grab one after uh, the gathering today and, um, yeah, to read through, journal, really wrestle with this text as we wrestle with this text together as a church. And so that's my uh, kind of uh, pitch. Um, is it still echoing a lot to you all too? Okay. Uh, let, me, let me just turn it off. Are you okay? Are you, oh, you're working up? Thanks, thanks, Gavin. Um, so grab one if you can, and then we'll uh, dig into that in two weeks. But for today, um, what I want to do is I want to share something that's been on my heart for the past month, and it's kind of like a personal reflection slash vision for this upcoming year. Um, and, you know, I don't usually do this, but today I'm not going to be preaching directly from a passage. You know, at Park Community Church, we believe in preaching through the passage every Sunday. But today I'm going to be speaking a bit more topically, and so I'm going to go through kind of multiple passages throughout Scripture. Um, and to be honest, this all started um, with the reflection that I had w during one of the most mundane tasks that I had this past month which was changing a diaper, okay? Um, we just had our third uh, a month ago, and um, there's a lot of diapers that we change every single day. And to be exact, it's about 10 to 12 per day. That's how much a newborn um, poops and pees, so you have to change about 12 times a day. Um, and it's a lot of diaper changes, but uh, for myself, you know, many, many of parents would probably consider a diaper change to be one of the most annoying yet necessary parts of being a parent. It's also pretty gross to do as a parent, but you have to do it as a parent. Um, and it's often the task where I know for as me, as like a husband and wife, like it's that moment where you know your child soiled their diaper and you look at each other and you like hope the other says they'll do it, right? It's kind of that mentality where like you really don't want to change a diaper unless you have to 
are unless you want to really serve your spouse well. And my, my perspective changed on changing a diaper with uh, a prayer that uh, I read recently. Um, it's from this prayer book called Every Holy Moment. It's a liturgy book that has many different types of prayers to read during different situations. And there's one actually, and actually they have two of them, um, titled Changing Diapers. So what I want to do is I want to actually read this prayer to you all. Um, it, it might relate to you, it might not, but I feel this sets the stage for kind of my reflection for our time today. Uh, it reads this, and this is a prayer, a prayer of changing diapers. It says, Heavenly Father, in such menial moments as this, the changing of a diaper, I would remember this truth. My unseen labors are not lost. For it is in these repeated acts of small sacrifice that like bright and ragged patches are slowly being sewn into a quilt of loving kindness that swaddles this child. I am not just changing a diaper. By love and service, I am tending a budding heart that rooted early in such grace-filled devotion might one day be more readily inclined to bow to your compassionate conviction, knowing itself then as both a receptacle and reservoir of heavenly grace. So this little act of diapering, though in form sometimes felt as base drudgery, might be better described as one of 10,000 acts by which I am actively creating a culture of compassionate service and selfless love to shape the life of this family and this beloved child. So take this unremarkable act of necessary service, O Christ, and in your economy, let it be multiplied into that greater outworking of worship and of faith, a true investment in the incremental advance of your kingdom across generations. Open my eyes that I might see this act for what it is from this fixed vantage of eternity, O Lord, how the changing of a diaper might sit upstream of the changing of a heart, and how the changing of a heart might sit upstream of the changing of the world. Amen. Now, I don't know what you took away from this prayer, um, but for me, it reminded me that even in the most menial tasks of my life, ones that often go unnoticed, ones that are annoying, ones that are even gross, ones that I've done so many times that it never seems to end, that it is still vitally important to God in his kingdom. Each diaper change is cleaning a mess that, you know, for me, each diaper change was cleaning a mess that causes discomfort and even can cause rashes for a baby. Each diaper change for me was a chance to slow down, to humble myself, and even help me be patient. Each diaper change was allowing me to look tenderly at my son's face, connecting with him just for that one moment. Each diaper change is creating a compassionate family that hopes to see this baby also be compassionate and serve others too. And each diaper change for me was a reminder of then God's tender and personal love, parental love even, that he gives to me as his child. So the main question I have for us um, today, and I want to ask you all, is what is your diaper change? What is your diaper change? Or another way to ask it is, what are the little things in your life that God wants to use or is using for his greater purposes? What are those little things in your life that God wants to use or is using for his greater purposes? And that's why the title of my sermon is simply this, Little Things Matter. Little Things Matter. 
And I want to walk through just three reminders, three things that I've been thinking about um, that relate to this. And I'm going to go through a bunch of different passages. And the first reminder is this. Little things matter in the kingdom of God. Little things matter in the kingdom of God. Let me just share a few. In Scripture, we see this actually more than we realize. In Scripture, um, Psalm 146, 9 says this, that God cares about the insignificant of the world. He says, the Lord watches over the foreigner and sustains the fatherless and the widow, but he frustrates the way of the wicked. If you look throughout Scripture, over 2,000 times there are references how God cares for the poor, for the foreigner, for the widow, for the orphan, or he calls his people to care for those individuals. Those that society would often times call insignificant are little. And even in Jesus' first line of the Beatitudes in Matthew 5, he says, Blessed are the poor, for theirs is the kingdom of God. So the insignificant matter to God. Second, God also quite literally cares for little people. You know, as Kevin was just sharing with during worship time, in Matthew 19, 14, Jesus says, Let the little children come to me and do not hinder them, for to such belongs the kingdom of heaven. You have to remember that, you know, I feel like nowadays society treats children well or are better than in the past. But in, historically, children were not treated that well. They were the least important in the chain of command of society. So when Jesus was saying this, the disciples were telling Jesus to shoo them away because they didn't deserve the, the rabbi's time. But for Jesus, he welcomed those who had very little influence and power in society. So the powerless matter. God. Third, God also values the small and meaning, yet meaningful acts that we see in Scripture, especially in Luke 21, verses 1 through, C, 1 through 3. It says, Jesus looked up and saw the rich putting their gifts into the offering box, and he saw a poor widow put in two small, two small copper coins, and he said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put in more than all of them. For they all contributed out of their abundance, but she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Two copper coins back in that time was actually worth less than one penny. Yet because the widow gave all she had, including the very heart of worship and sacrifice, her penny was worth more than the abundance that even the temple leaders thought were amazing. Or what Jesus says in Mark 9, verse 41. Jesus says, For truly I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. Again, even the small act of kindness of giving a cup of water does not go unnoticed by God. The small yet meaningful gifts and acts matter to God. Throughout Scripture, we see repeatedly that God is concerned with the insignificant, the powerless, the small, and the little things in life. Little things matter to God. You know, on a side note, but related to this, is that this also means that God sees and cares about all the little things that are going on in your life right now. You know, my bet is that there are some of you, maybe all of you, who 
believe, or maybe sometimes we believe that God really doesn't care about these little things that are going on in my life. He doesn't really care about this unnoticed pain that isn't going away, or he doesn't care about this small yet really consistent frustration that we experience at work every week, or he doesn't care about this little yet annoying responsibility or expectation that is bearing on me that I have to fulfill, or he doesn't care about this emptiness or this worry that's just dragging on in my life. But let me remind you, if God cared for the insignificant, if he cared for the powerless of society, if he cared about even two copper coins dropping into a basket for um, this temple where these people were dropping in loads of coins, God also cares about the little things that are going on in your life. Now, I confess, he, you probably won't see him do anything. You might not notice things. But uh, I feel that for many of us, the reason why we don't see God in the little things in our lives is because we aren't actually attentive to those little things as much as he is. That we're not praying, we're not being attentive, we're not listening, we're not careful on these things. And God cares much more about these things than we do. So God cares about our little things. God cares about the little things in his kingdom. The question then that comes is, do we? Do we care about them? Let me give you an example here. And I would say that we don't. We don't care about them. But let me just give you an example. Um, some of you know this, but uh, I like to consider myself a healthy person. You know, healthy, I work out, I eat well. But some of you also know that I've had a lot of back issues recently. A lot of back issues. I've seen doctors. I've been to, I don't know, dozens of chiropractor appointments and PT appointments. I've gotten acupuncture, if you know what that is. Uh, I even got an MRI by a spine specialist. And after all of that, you know what was the most consistent response all those medical professionals gave me? It was that you need to move around more. You need to exercise. You need to watch your back posture when you sit and drive. And you need to drink more water. And in my mind, especially when I'm in pain, like my back's in pain, that's like the last thing I want to hear. I don't want to hear I have to do all these things over and over again. What I want to hear is I want to hear, I want to get one medication or one shot to get all this pain away and fix it. And that's not what I've heard countless times. My chiropractor also told me this. He said that you need to put in little exercises, stretches, walks, and watch your posture every single day, and then your back will heal and improve. And that's probably the reason why my back is so messed up. It's because I haven't been doing these little things over the days and weeks and months that I've been neglecting the small little things, like even back posture, that's making my back hurt which leads me to my second reminder, and it's this. We often, or we neglect the little things. We as humans oftentimes neglect the little things in our lives. Perhaps for you, it's not your back health. That's for me. But maybe for you, it's your consistent time in prayer or in time with God's word. Or maybe it's perhaps it's your short moments where you need to disengage from your phone or from work so that you can engage in a conversation with your family or your roommate or your spouse. 
perhaps for you, it's shutting or, or leaving work early or making sure your brain is off so you can actually sleep or rest. Perhaps it's checking in on a friend that's struggling. Perhaps it's the need to address some sort of health, like mental health or emotional health or physical health. And the list goes on. There are many, many little things that we tend to neglect. And my bet is that there are many of us who struggle with this. And if we realize that avoiding or neglecting these little things creates more harm in our lives than good. Then the question is why? Why do we as humans often neglect the little things? I honestly think it begins with this lie that little things don't make a difference. That little things just simply don't make a difference. And instead, for us as a society, as a culture, as people, we are naturally drawn to the big, to the significant, to the powerful, to the immediate gratifications and results. We can feel, taste, hear, or smell right now. And I believe humanity's number one allergy is not peanuts, but it's actually being patient and waiting. Because we want gains right now. We want results right, what, right now. We want the meal right now, that family right now, that paycheck right now, that life transformation right now. So when we become so results-focused, we become blind to the fact that our God actually cares more about the process than the results. Or another way we see it in Scripture is actually in 1 Samuel 16 through 7, or 16 verse 7. Now, this passage is in the context when God was choosing a king for Israel. He sent the prophet Samuel to find the most capable man to be king over his people. So he goes to Jesse, to his sons, and instead of choosing the one that has the best size and strength and demeanor and ability, he chooses the scrawniest and the smallest and the most insignificant one, David, because of this, verse 7. The Lord said to Samuel, do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Church, you and I, we often look at the appearance, the stature, the results over and over again in every but in every person and people group in scripture, what God does is he always peels back the layers and he always looks at the smallest thing that we as humans tend to neglect, and that is the heart. That is our character. That is our faithfulness of the individual. Because for God, the little things he or she commits to in their hearts matter than all the other exterior things they have. Church, just a reminder here too that being a disciple of Christ, being a Christian, it's not a life journey with quick fixes. That's not really the path of a disciple. It's not always about results, and to be honest, it's not always entertaining or really sexy. It's not, that's not what God has called us to. It's not a line graph that always goes to the upper right. It's slow. It's basic. It's mundane at times. It's even boring. It's always one little thing at a time. So for you, the next question is, what are some of the little things you are currently neglecting in your life? 
What are some of the little things in your life that you are currently neglecting? What about in your faith? Even, you know, some, some things may come to you, but for me, I'll make my own confession. One of the little things that I have honestly been neglecting in my own life and in my ministry as a pastor in Park Hyde Park is simply praying for the church and its members. You know, I think that's something that should be so natural to a pastor to do. Um, but like you, uh, maybe in your own you know, work life or family life or just life life, um, I want to see results. I want to see things happen. I want things move. I want to get people to come, people to, stories to happen, impact shared. And it makes me actually work harder and do more and, you know, just be more busy than actually stopping and simply praying for the church and for the ministry and for the people in the church. And that's just one category in my life that I'm neglecting. I can give you examples with my own personal walk with God, with my own family life, my own health. And, you know, sadly, my back is not 100% yet, so I still have a long way to go. There are many little things I have neglected. And I imagine it's the same for all of you. So now the question is why? So now why should we be concerned about all of these little things? Why should we be doing these things if even if we have done these little things over and over again, what if they seem fruitless? What if we haven't seen any change? What if they've been just so insignificant, especially in the arena of our faith? Is it just because we should do them because God cares? Well, that's important. But another reason, which leads me to my third and final reminder, is that God uses the little things in our lives to change the world. God uses the little things to change the world. Not only does God care about the little things in his kingdom, but he uses the little things to impact the world for his glory and for our good. Because again, if you look at the entire story of scripture, it's a story of God using small and insignificant people who can only do small and insignificant acts to change the world. Not by their effort, but by God's power alone. And let me just walk through scripture here. In the beginning, notice God does not create a mass civilization for his work, but he starts with one man and one woman to cultivate the earth and to fill it and to have dominion over it. Then God chooses just one righteous man, Noah, not me, but Noah in the Bible, to build an ark piece by piece made entirely by his hands, which I don't physically, I can't just literally imagine right now, but he, he did it one by one, wood by wood, to save humanity from a worldwide flood, just one person. Then God chooses one of the smallest nations. Israel was not a mighty nation by any means. It was one of the weakest nations in that time, a nation that was enslaved, that was powerless, that was disobedient, to be his people and to be a blessing to others. God also used a seven-day march with a shout to tear down an entire fortress in Jericho. God then used one of the tiniest of stones in a hand of a scrawny future king in a boy to strike down the most powerful man in Goliath in 1 Samuel. God also used the prophet Elijah, one prophet, to defeat 400 prophets of Baal in a showdown of fire and water. 
God also, later on, would use only five loaves and two fish to be multiplied to feed 5,000 men, and that's not even counting the women and children. And later on then, God used a ragtag group of men and women, a small group, who were committed to sharing about this risen Messiah, equipped with small acts of kindness and compassion to start the church. And though they began for decades on the fringes of society, they grew to one of the most influential people in all of history. And that church is still growing and changing lives today. But probably the greatest example of God using the little things to change the world was when God sent his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to earth and first as an embryo in a woman's body. And if you want to talk about patience and waiting with the little things, just look at the life of Jesus. Though he was God, he waited nine months in Mary's womb. And though he was God, he grew up fully dependent on others for them to feed him, to care for him, to even teach him how to go to the bathroom, to be a carpenter, to read, and so much more. Jesus, even though he was God in the flesh, patiently committed himself to the little things of life until it was time to begin his ministry. And then when he began his ministry at the age of 30, he didn't pursue the immediate results or the best followers or the best strategies to employ in his time. What he did was he chose the unwanted to be his disciples. He hung out with the unliked and the unnoticed of society. And then he poured out his life on a small, insignificant cross to rescue all who were unclean, which includes you and includes me. Even in the gospel message itself, Jesus humbled himself to the most insignificant and lowest position, taking on the brokenness that we, in, that we had so that in him we would have new and eternal life. Jesus didn't skip any of the little things in his life and then just jump to the resurrection and glorification that he fully deserved, but he patiently waited step by step, person by person, message by message, task by task, all because the little things matter. So this is really kind of my reflection and my vision for us as a church. And you know, my, my prayer too, as I kind of share this with the other people within the church and leaders in the church, is that we be faithful to the little things God has called us to do. That we would be faithful to the little things God has called us to do. Because I'm convinced that God will use each and every little act and person to further his kingdom whether we see it or whether we don't. That with every prayer that we make, God is doing something. That with every new person that we welcome kindly to this church, that God is doing something. That with every missional community Bible study that happens, that God is doing something. That with every person that we love and serve in our workplace, in the classroom, in our, in our neighborhood, or just even in, on the bus or on the train, that God is doing something. That with every responsibility that you have in your homes, with your health, with your schedules, even if it's changing a diaper or cooking dinner for your roommate or being consistent with your devotionals, that God is doing something with each and every 
have. Now, I feel like even though I'm talking about doing all these little things, I, I do want to warn that I'm not saying that you have to add like 25,000 little tasks you need to do every single day. That's not the goal of this talk or this reflection. But the goal is simply for us as a church and even just as a Christian to not get caught up with so many different tasks that we have to do, but that we would just be faithful with the tasks that we already have right now. That we would not just be so, you know, trying to feel like we got to change the world by ourselves, but that we would be patient in doing the small tasks that God has called us to every single day. And so my application or my kind of call to action for you all is simply this. You have some note cards around you, and there might be a pen, there might not be a pen, never know. Um, but you can also do this. You can have the note card, or if you are more you know, technological, like most people are, and you need a reminder, maybe pull out your phone and maybe pull it up on something that you will see. You know, sometimes I send emails to myself because I need a reminder. And so if you do that, go ahead and do that. But what I want you to do is to write down three little things you want to prioritize uh, this upcoming season. Say fall season, maybe say school year, can be whatever. And I have three categories, and it's behind me here. Uh, three categories uh, are maybe like just kind of three sections. One's a God habit. So uh, one's a relational habit or a family habit. And the other one is a vocation habit. Now, I use the word habit because, uh, it, it, you know, it, it needs to be something that's regular, consistent, and I would say honestly tiny. Like, it, it can't be something grand and big like I'm like, you know, I'm going to like fast for one whole week. You know, that's like, that's, that's pretty ridiculous. It can't, also can't be something that you're going to change your entire life around, but just something that's tiny that you maybe already do, like not consistently that you want to have in your life. And one helpful phrase that I have found in order to write new tiny habits is this. You say, after I, and put an existing habit, I will do the new habit. A lot of us already have a lot of habits we do, like, you know, brush our teeth. I hope you do that. Um, take a, sh you know, wake up in the morning, um, come back from work, uh, before I go to bed, you know, all those things. And you put that so that you can attach another habit onto that existing habit. Because it's really hard to start new habits randomly and to try to do them throughout the day. It doesn't happen. Trust me. Um, let me just show you mine. Just a few examples. Uh, I have... After I get my coffee in the morning, I will read my Bible. Um, after I come home from work, I will spend time with my children. After I respond to my emails, I will pray for the church and its members. So something very kind of similar in that framework that you can write, I would love for you to do, and I'm actually going to give you a minute to do that. Um, I am going to play some Hopefully this works. I'm going to play some music so that it won't be as awkward. Um, so you can just kind of take stuff like a
minimum volume. Alright. Um, you don't have to like accomplish it all right now, and you don't have to do it perfectly, but um, hopefully that space at least gave you a start to kind of write them uh, for this upcoming season. And of course, like you can change it. It's not like it's written in stone. Uh, the goal is tiny habits, uh, tiny things that I believe will do much more in your lives if you notice them and are patient with them and consistent with them. Now, let me just kind of wrap up the time here with one more passage of scripture in Matthew. Um, and this passage refers to one of the smallest seeds that Jesus refers to, a mustard seed. In Matthew 17, 20, um, I think, uh, yeah, this uh, sort of bottom one, we'll read this one. It says, Jesus replied, because you have so little faith, truly I tell you, if you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. In the end, amidst all the things that you can do, again, I go back to, like I said a little while ago, the heart. It, it really, what God cares most about in all the things you do is your faith. It's the faith that you have in him. Because he can only use little things that you do when you have faith. And he isn't asking here for like a mountain of faith or even like a rock of faith. He's asking for a mustard seed. And I should have put a mustard seed up there, but, um, or even, I don't think I can find one actually, but a mustard seed is only about one to two millimeters big or long. If you think of a crayon, a Crayola crayon, um, it's basically just the tip of that crayon. That's how big a typical mustard seed is. Because if you faithfully commit this tiny amount of faith in the little things God has called you to do, I am 100% convinced that God can do greater things than you or I could imagine. Now, it might not happen tomorrow or even next year, but that God can use them for his glory. And it also applies for the church. And this is kind of why I feel like this is not just my reflection, but hopefully a vision for us as a church you know, I'll share more of my reflections of the past year, you know, uh, next week. But, you know, it's, it's been a lot. Uh, you can ask any pastor in this country, even the world, with COVID and everything in this world and the political environment and everything else that's happened in between, that it's been tough for churches all across. Um, but, and I would love to just stand here and tell you, like, this is the vision. We're going to go here and conquer that hill. Like, I, I, I really just have no idea. And I don't think most pastors have any idea on where to go. But what I am convinced about is that as much as we don't have any control over our lives or the things that are going on in this church, is what we can do is to be faithful in the little things God has called us to. To the people who we pray for often in this church, to be people who are committed to God's word together and God's ways together, to be people who love one another sacrificially, who support one another, who care for them, who know one another in the church, and to be people who actively stay present and listen to the needs of our neighborhood and community. It's not rocket science, in my opinion. It's something that we have neglected because we're so distracted and worried about so many other things, and that's including myself. And honestly, beyond that, God gives the growth. God does his work. In your lives or in this church or wherever God is, which is everywhere, God gives the growth. 
And I want to end with this last image, just this one last image, and then I'll pray. Um, and it's the picture, I think, uh, of the Colorado River. Um, you can't really see it that well. Um, but it's the Colorado River that's part of the Grand Canyon. I'm not sure. Um, I took this, river, this picture online, so I'm not 100% sure where it's at. But some quick facts. Oh, thanks, Abigail. Yeah. Um, the, the river itself is 1,400 miles long, um, which covers about uh, seven states and parts of Mexico. And it begins in the Rocky Mountains, and it goes kind of throughout until it kind of empties itself in uh, actually the deserts of Mexico. And though there are many factors in creating this river uh, and this landscape, the most important proponent or factor in this creation, which might not be as obvious as you think, but it's the movement of the water. Now, if we got real small here, uh, real small, uh, there is research now that says that if you had a microliter of water, which I learned recently, is just one one-thousandth of a milliliter, so it's really, really, really small. And if you had that water drop from about 15 centimeters, which is six inches, maybe like this, the energy that it creates because of the drop and the movement of the water is about 100 volts of energy, enough power to light 100 light bulbs. I, I, I tried to reach as much as I could as a pastor, so I think that's right. I hope that's right because it's a really good illustration. So, um, but just bear with me here. And so that little drop, 100 light bulbs. And so if you think about it then, it makes sense how a landscape like a Grand Canyon or like a valley or a mountain or an ocean front can happen. Because when water droplets are then combined over time and they are joined in force, that movement of water can create and break up mountains and landscapes that no human or human machinery could ever pull off. Now, the thing, too, is that as it changes the landscape, it doesn't happen overnight. It happens over the consistent flow that takes years, even centuries, and some, like the Colorado River, that took almost millions of years to create. And I couldn't help to think that as the people of God, as a church, that each one of us and the acts that we do are nothing more than a microliter of water. We are nothing more than that. We can produce a lot, 100 light bulbs, but together, as we continue to be faithful in the little things that God has given to us, as we're joined together, there can be much more impact that God can do through us. And it doesn't happen overnight. Again, it happens over time, over consistency, with faith. And as we, as God, by God's will, we can do many more things for his kingdom than we could ever imagine doing on our own. And that's my prayer for us as a church. That's prayer for myself, honestly, uh, to be faithful in this and to believe with the mustard seed-like faith that the little things we can do can indeed move mountains as God, as, as Jesus said himself. And I don't know what the mountain is for us. I have no idea. Um, but that's my prayer for us. So let me just pray. Uh, and then Kevin will come up and finish up with one more song. Yeah, God, we, we are before you. Um, 
And, and God, we, we first just want to confess that uh, we are oftentimes so uh, prone to be distracted and fixated on so many of the other things that seem to be more important than the small tasks that you have given to us as your children. And Father, I ask that you would please humble us, um, give us patience and uh, a heart of waiting to be faithful in the small tasks that you've given to us in our lives. I don't know all the tasks that you've called us to as your people in this room and for our entire church, God, but I know that the tasks that we do are not meaningless to you. And so, God, I pray that over this season that you would help them become meaningful to us, that you would help us see even just a small bud of fruit that's beginning to come as we do these little things in our lives, that you would not just help them come to fruition in our individual lives, but even within our church here at Park Hyde Park, that you would bear good fruit, not because we are making things grow or that we're doing all these things, but that we're just being faithful with the little things and you are providing the growth that is ultimately needed. And so God, help us. Um, without you, without your spirit, um, we will fail. We will do all things incorrectly, God. But in your spirit, we can do things only according to your grace uh, and for your glory and for our good. And so thank you, God, for just this time and this space. We pray, oh God, just for yeah the continual blessing and the grace to live on for your sake. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.